0: We are going to start in chapter 13 of Romans. Don't, don't turn there yet. You could turn. Actually, um, I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 17, not Psalm 24. Deuteronomy 17, 14 through 20 is going to be our Old Testament reading this morning. And um as we're thinking about, I think because of the the situation we find ourselves in as a church as Christians especially since 2020 especially since covid and and we're seen that the the, the, ch- the manifested change between the government and Christians there's that uneasiness there's that tension we all know we, we feel it we know that things are different so this section is really in, it's always been important for us yes but it's very important to us now it's really der- Affecting us directly, okay. So we're gonna have to be really strong, um, as Christians. Much is required of us as as Christians living in a place where there's hostility all around us, from the top all the way down. You know. So that's that's kind of we're setting the stage. As a matter of fact, today. It's gonna serve like as one long introduction. It's gonna be biblical, but it's basically an introduction and not an exposition of chapter, uh, 13 as we're, as we're starting. We're, we'll be doing that. But this is gonna just lay the foundation for this mini-series, um, regarding God, government, and you. All right. Gen- or, uh, Leviticus, bah, Deuteronomy, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers. Deuteronomy, chapter 17, beginning in verse 14. This is the word of the Lord. And this is God, before he brings his people into the land, he knew they were going to want a king. Here's his provision and stipulations. He says, when you come into the land the Lord your God is giving you, and you possess it and dwell in it, and then say, I will set a king over me, like all the nations that are around me, you may indeed set a king over you whom the Lord your God will choose one from among your brothers shall be set over you as king over you. You may not put a foreigner over you who is not your brother. Only he must not acquire many horses for himself or cause the people to return to Egypt in order to acquire many horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never return that way again. And he shall not acquire many wives for himself, lest he says, lest his heart turn away nor shall he acquire for himself excessive excessive silver and gold. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them that his heart may not be lifted above his brothers and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left so that he may continue long in his kingdom and his children in Israel. Amen. Praise God. Now to Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Again, I'm going to just read this for context and then we'll talk about... God, government, and you. Paul says this Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no other authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who's in authority? Then do what's good, and you'll receive his approval. For he's God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he doesn't bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to this very thing pay all to what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Amen. And praise God. That is so loaded. I can't wait to actually get into it starting next week. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you and praise you so much, Lord, for your goodness, for your kindness, for your, for your mercy, for your providence that you have called us to this time for such a time as this as your people. What an opportunity we have to live faithfully, to be such a contrast with the darkness that we find ourselves in, this present darkness that we find ourselves in, Lord. So I pray that you would help us to be bold, that we would be faithful, that we would love you with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind, that we would love one another as we ought to, that we would love the lost, Lord, and bring forth your message, your gospel. Be faithful to that, come what may. So please prepare our hearts Help me this morning to communicate clearly, Lord God. Help us to to learn, to to be prepared, Lord, to live as we ought to in the situation in which we find ourselves. situation you have placed us in by your good providence. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, just as right before we get into what we're going to be talking about in the next few weeks, I do want to square a little bit from last week. Um, I, I have several... Several of you talked about, hey, you know, we're talking about praying for our enemies and, and not, not taking vengeance on our own, ourselves. But what about the imprecatory Psalms? What about the Psalms? Hey, let's pray for God's judgment and justice. Listen, that's great. That's, uh, we're just going to square the imprecatory Psalms with what we learned last week because the imprecatory Psalms and, and those prayers that you see throughout scripture that calls for God's judgment, God's judgment, justice, wrath to be poured out is, is per- It's biblical. Um, it doesn't preclude us from from praying for our enemies that they would be saved. It goes hand in hand, as a matter of fact. Because those imprecatory psalms are really a call for justice, right? They're a call for vengeance, that God would make it right. And that's that's what we're doing. So even as we pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You know what you're praying when you say, thy kingdom come? You're praying for Christ to come back. What's going to happen when he comes back? He's going to gather, his elect, but he's going to judge those who have not believed and trusted in him. So, yes, it's, it, it's absolute. We don't only believe in sola scriptura, that scripture is the final and ultimate authority over all things, but tota scriptura, that all scripture, we take that into consideration. All of scripture is taken into consideration. So we do pray for repentance for our enemies, and that the Lord would change your heart. But if not, lest, Lord, bring your justice, bring your judgment down upon them. So that squares. Also, we're not consumed with vengeance. We're not taking vengeance into our own hands. Vengeance is an aspect of justice. It's absolutely legitimate when carried out justly, and God will duel out justice, vengeance in a perfect manner. See? So that's just a little bit of kind of leading into what we're going to be talking about today it's a beautiful segue because we're entering a section in Romans where God establishes an institution that deals with the matters of justice righteousness law order equality vengeance restraint peace in other words we're going to be dealing with government so Paul is bringing us to that place and there's a place God ultimately has vengeance he will do that he will justly judge all people rightly and righteously but he's also given us a government in the meantime to deal with those matters. God has ordained these things. What are the big three social institutions that God has ordained that everybody, everybody is accountable for? They're, they're not going to adhere to it necessarily, but all of us are accountable to God for these three things. Number one is the family. Number two is the church. Number three is the government. God has ordained these things. For the benefit of mankind, hasn't he? For good, right? It's a reflection. These are a reflection of his goodness, of his mercy, and of his grace that he's given us these institutions. And when we handle them rightly, obey them properly, you have blessings. You just do. Not without problems, but you have blessings. And we as Christians are called to influence According to his design and his purpose, as Luke was praying, we need more than anybody else to have the strongest families that love the Lord and that, and take God's word seriously when it comes to that. We should be as a church. We are, we have a redemptive mission. We need to be preaching the gospel clearly and faithfully. And we need to be involved in society according to our giftedness, right? We need to be calling to account. Those who are over us, and we need to be involved in that as well. You know why? Because it's the mission. These are all under the authority and the sovereignty of God. And it is the mission of Satan. It is the mission of the evil forces. It's the mission of the evil one to distort all of these, isn't it? Yeah, it absolutely is. To cause dysfunction, to effectively destroy God's intended purposes. So think about it. Where are we at today, right now, in the context in which we find ourselves? Think about the family. What is a family? There's there's a large swath of society that can't even define a family, or a family is whatever you want it to be. You know, it could be you, your dog, and your AI robot. That's a family, and that constitutes what a, what a family is. So we're, we've lost that definition of what an actual family is, and there are many factors to that. That's a, that's another story. And that's another sermon. But see that institution from God that is being denied and torn down. So we have. A weakness there. What about the church? Right? There's large, large portions of the church where there is not an effectiveness on our part. We're not effective, are we? we? He has his church. He has his people. We want to remain faithful and effective. But there's a large portion of the church where we have lost that salt and light. We're not serious. We're playing games in church or coming just to have a good time and just think and to do this and do that and to get in your little groups and ah, uh, no, no, no. Being a true Christian is about dying to yourself and living to Jesus for Jesus Christ. It's about taking up that 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 sword, that armor and being ready for him. It's counting the cost of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Take up your cross daily, die to yourself in order to live for him, go out with the gospel. we stand and start contrast to the world, man, and we do you are if you're a Christian, and you know that, but we need to let that be known. We need to be out there. We we've we've just bought into society. You have your little Christian thing over here. Let us go is the world. And what's happening to us? We're being swallowed up by the culture and by the world. There's no doubt about that. And think about the government. Wow. Think about the state. I don't know if there's a place on this planet where you could find true justice. You know, real 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 equality. True equality and fairness. We're hard pressed to find any nation that's really adhering to government as God has ordained it. That's, a, that's the a truth. And, and we're no exception right now and right here. So, government, as we talk about it, that's rooted in man, and everything's not in God is rooted in man, will focus eventually or primarily on power. That's what it does. Power from the top, imposing, oppressing, not serving, which government is meant to do, and we're going to be seeing that. But ultimately, it does bring corruption, oppression, misery, partiality, tyranny, and and just just a short little um, blurb there. Less God, more corruption, no doubt. That's simple. It's due to the fallen nature of man. That's why we have that. We're fallen. We're corrupt. We're rebels from the start. We desire power. We desire to be like God. Even the fall of Satan. Well, many. Theologians think this is where Satan fell. Isaiah 14, I think we have that. He said, you said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. That's kingship. That's authority. That's over on high. That's That was Lucifer's desire in that way. It's not changed for us. Even in the garden, you're going to be like God. God doesn't want you to be like him. You you are like him. So we see that. We see that throughout scripture. So I'm going to lay the foundation this morning about the government because this Romans 13 just didn't pop out of the air. It finds its roots in all the scripture. So we're laying that foundation this the first known king and ruler of the nations in Scripture was a man named Nimrod. Hey, you're a Nimrod. We use that kind of as a derogatory name, but uh, Nimrod actually was a, a strong hunter, you know, really able in that way. But he founded nations, and among those nations is Babylon. Babylon's historically been an enemy of God's people, but he was. The ruler of that. Mighty. Might makes right. And that's really what it comes down to. When man is in charge and not God, when we try to usurp, it always comes, focuses on power. What about Pharaoh? You no, know, Pharaoh, Pharaoh, uh, Exodus chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 and then 5. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness." But Pharaoh said, and here's the arrogance of man, power of man, not acknowledging God. You are under God. You, Whether you acknowledge it or not, whether you choose to to believe it or not, you are under the sovereignty of God. Every person is. It's our job to make that known to people through the gospel primarily, but also through our involvement. So they're saying, hey, no, no. God is telling you to let them go. Look what Pharaoh says in verse 2. But Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? And that is the Clarion call of every false despot politician. Who's God that I should, who's God that I'm going to listen to him? Who's God that I'm going to let them go? That I should obey his voice? Every tyrant speaks that, those words in his heart. I don't know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. Okay, who's, I'm the ruler of this land. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. Exodus 5 2. Exodus 5, 5, and Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many and you will make uh, the rest from their burden. So what's Pharaoh doing? He's there. He imposed his will. He wasn't going to let them go. Who's God? He was afraid that the Israelites were going. So as the ruler, as the leader, what's he going to do? Every leader, every false leader is going to suppress because they want the power. They don't want you to speak truth to them or have freedom unless they unless they give it to you. So he says they're growing, and we're going to put them under cruel subjection. they are getting out of hand. Well, we saw how God dealt with him. God is over all authority and in all institutions. How about Nebuchadnezzar? We're going to take a little time on this. I want you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel 4, if you have your Bibles... Daniel chapter 4, and this is an amazing account. We will be coming back to this at points during our series. Here's Nebuchadnezzar, the great ruler, the great king, signifying especially all civil authority, all civil government. Everything is under him. He rules everything. Here we learn a lot more about the nature of civil government itself. So, chapter 4, beginning in verse 28. Daniel chapter 4, yes, beginning verse 28. And it came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, and the king answered and said, is not this great Babylon which I have built, see the arrogance, the power, that's the authority, apart from God's grace and it goes to your head, man, and then you just want that power, and you're going to use it. I have built by my mighty power the royal residence, and for the glory of whose majesty yeah, my majesty, man you see this in the de- in these people while the while the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O oh, King Nebuchadnezzar. To you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you. There's God's sovereignty over every rule and authority, right? And we wield that. We have a voice in that. We have a part in that as we make that known, as we ought to make that known. It's departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. And they shall be made, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Sovereignty of God. Big deal. And especially as he gives it to whom he will, we're going to be coming back to that theme as we get to Romans 13. Immediately. The word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men, ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as the eagle's feathers, and his nails were like bird's claws. Just imagine the scene. There he is, this high, mighty, exalted king, ruler, magistrate, whatever he went all over. Me. When it comes to the Lord, that's where your place is. God is sovereign over you. You need need to acknowledge the Lord. No civil government is for man. That's what you need to learn right now. No civil government is for man, but God owes, God owns all things. And man owes his allegiance to God. Remember that. Remember that in authorities. When they say, oh, this is separate from here. No, 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 no. When you're speaking before the magistrate, you got to let them know And this will be confirmed in Romans 13, that you will answer to God. And we're warning you, we're telling you. And if you do it, then there will be prosperity, there will be blessing. It will be a lot better when you obey the Lord in that way. God humbled this great ruler, this man. And and, and then this man acknowledged God. So look at verse 34 and 35. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. And what did he do? I blessed the Most High. He was humbled by God. God revealed himself to him and showed him who's a true king, and all he could do was just give God the praise and glory. And that's what happens when you're humbled by God. You know, you're not going to be that proud person anymore. You're going to be a humbled person, and you're going to look to the Lord, and you're going to say, God, you, you own everything. I am nothing, and you are everything amen and praise god so he said that and i blessed the most high and i praised and i honored him who lives forever what a change he was just praising himself look at my kingdom look what i've built i'm ruling over all this you know my i'm I'm the chief No, no 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 now it's the complete opposite that's a godly ruler that's a man who knows the lord now his he didn't last too long we know that but we see that he praises god for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing and check this out he does according to his will among the hosts of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth and no one can stay his hand or say to him what have you done he turns as luke said the kings and the rulers god sovereignly sets up rulers and authorities they're subject to his That's why every ruler, every authority is subject to his will, whether they acknowledge it or not. They are, right? And they will answer to him. Those who've rejected or failed to acknowledge, governed as if he doesn't exist, will answer to him. That's a big thing. So keep that in the back of your mind as we get to Romans 13 starting next week. Nebuchadnezzar did reestablish, reconstitute, but under a an entirely new constitution under the Lord. Look at 36 again in 37. At the same time, my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, extol, and honor the King of heaven, for all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Amen, and praise God. That goes for leaders, that goes for you, that goes for me. Amen, and praise God. That's the power of the hand, and he turns him. And now you see, godly, at least for a little time, before Belshazzar comes comes to prominence, that godliness god is sovereign that's what you're learning right now that's what you're seeing right now that's what you need to get in your mind we give all due honor and respect to the authorities but we know and we must acknowledge that they're under god and we have an obligation to let them know that lovingly but firmly and we stand on that whatever the cost that's why we'll have people go down, even to city council, and say, okay, city council, we respect your authority, but that's authority that's given to you by God, and you need to listen to him. Check out Chad sometimes when he's, sometime when he's speaking to them. What about Pontius Pilate? Another one. I don't know. People think that Pontius Pilate was just like a constable or something. That's not true. That's not true. He's a Roman governor in Judea. That's a big deal. It's a big deal. He had the civil authority for that entire province. He was the man in that province. He was the authority for Rome in that region. There was greater authority. He had greater authority in that province than all others except the emperor himself. Do you know that? He wasn't just some rinky-dink little guy on the side. He had civil authority granted to him. So he could do everything from deciding Boundary limits to imposing the death penalty. But you know what? He was still under the sovereign rule of God. Here's Jesus Christ. Picture the scene. Here's, here's Pilate in his robes, in his authority. And those robes and the clothing that they wear, we'll talk about this in one of the messages, that projects that. That's a symbol of that authority and what should be submission to God. But that's a symbol of their authority. And here he is. And I'll think of Jesus beaten, battered, bruised, bloodied. And look what he says, John 19. So Pilate said to him, you will, not, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? I have the civil authority to do that. I'm the magistrate. I hold that power. Jesus answered him. And you mark this down. You remember this. You would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he delivered, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. But you notice, you would have no power, no authority. Now here's battered, bruised, beaten Jesus. What's this powerful governor going to do? If any of you would say that to him, you know what he would do at that point? Okay, crucify this guy right now. Get him out of my sight. But he doesn't respond like that to Jesus, does he? From that point on, he looked for a way to get Jesus released. He understood that Jesus was different. Notice how he reacted to Jesus' statement. Not like a man in authority would. You go and speak to your magistrate in that way and see what happens. But when Jesus spoke to him like that, he pretty much cowered. They're under the sovereign rule and authority of God. That's an authority that we carry as his people. Remember that. Acts, chapter 12, verses 21 through 23. Amazing display of God's sovereignty. And it's kind of reminiscent of Daniel that this king, the rulers, the magistrates are subject to him. On the appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, and there it is—a symbol of authority, magistrate. I am over you, and that's intimidating, is it? Right? When you see that that uniform coming, there's a reason. There's so much symbolism, and so much we can learn even from the from the from the garb that's worn by the judge. When they put that robe on, they're that authority now. They're they're bringing forth justice, right? You see a police officer coming with his uniform on. Okay. That's, that's authority there, right? Uh, we kind of lost that too a little bit. And that's another, again, another sermon. But here is this amazing display. Royal robes took his seat upon the throne, delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, check it out, to the, to the magistrate, the voice of a God, the voice of a God and not of man. And immediately, and angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. What glory was he going to give to God, right? I don't have anything to do with God. I'm a civil match. I'm not a Christian like you. But he was still under God's sovereign rule, and he owed him. He owed him allegiance and obedience. And he was eaten by the worms, and he breathed his last. The kings, the rulers, the magistrates are subject to him. Amen. That's a great foundation. That's what you need to know as we prepare for Romans 13. Among the people of God, even when there's no godly civil authority ruling, what happens? Think of judges. What did everybody do when there was no king in the land? Yeah, kind of like we're doing today. We're going to do what's right in our own eyes. You know, that's there, there's no restraint. And there's nothing there to keep you back from doing what the evil heart would want to do and carry out. Right. On this level, we see that. And what happens when you do what's right in your own eyes? It leads to idolatry. It leads to oppression. It leads to chaos. It leads to kind of what we have today, pretty much in our world. Disorder, right? Enemies all around us. The kings of Israel, like we read in the Old Testament reading, they were to rule according to the word of God. Among other things, that meant that they were to be a light to the other nations too. Telling the other nations, I'm under sovereign God who gives us the law, who gives us authority. This is how we know what's right. This is how we know how to govern in the right way because we have it from God. Otherwise, you're going to do what seems right in your own eyes. And that leads to oppression, tyranny, you know, constant power being concentrated in one person or a few people and misery. All right? So he says, no, 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 you keep these words. And these statutes, that's a reference to the law. The king needed to know the law. Why? Because he was going to be administrator, that justice. And if you don't have it, if you don't use it, if you're not there, you're you're going to forget it and you're going to do what seems right to you. And you're going to forget about what God actually says. We do that all the time. Even Christians don't keep their eyes on the word. You do that in your own life. You say, "Okay, here's God's word. Here's what he says. But here's what I'm going to do, even if it doesn't match up with God's word, because it seems right to me and I know that he understands. The more you know the word of God, you're not going to believe that because that's not true. The more you're going to say, no, 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 no. This is what God's word says. This is what he commands. This is what I need to do. So I bring glory to him and I'm not sinning against him. And I'm obedient to him and I'm useful to him and I'm honoring him instead of doing what I want to do. See, this all filters down to a personal level as well. But the king was to know that law because these were the laws of God. They were to be administered. And when you had good kings, things went pretty well. Remember King Hezekiah? There weren't many good kings during the kingdom, the period of God, right? Just several mostly in Judah. King Hezekiah is an example. He was one who was of the few that was considered good and faithful. The Bible says he did what was good and right and faithful before the Lord is God. So he administered justice rightly. He was good. He said, okay, here's your word law. Here's the law, Lord. Here's how we're going to administer that justice and righteousness. And that was a good thing. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands of the Lord. And at that time, Israel would prosper because he is king over all. It just works that way. We just can't, we hate that because it just kicks against our nature. It kicks against our We just want to be rebels all the time. Even as Christians, we fight that because we want to rebel. We want to do it our way. So you had wicked kings. Hezekiah was a good one. His daddy wasn't so good. His daddy was awful. Ahaz was a different story. He didn't keep the law of God. And what happened? When you don't do that, when the magistrate allows it to go by the wayside, it leads to destructive practices. There's idolatry going on, giving your sons to the fire, syncretism, chaos, disorder. Second Chronicles 28, 1-4 through 4 says this. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, and he did not... And he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord as his father David had done, but he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. He walked in their ways. And he was evil. It goes on, and I don't have these verses up. Okay, yeah, (laughs) we do. And he even made, this is what he did. When you turn away from the Lord, and again, this is the king, this is the civil magistrate, this is one of those, one of the three foundational uh, institutions that God's given us it says he even made metal images for the Baals they weren't the God of Israel so there's a false God so he's he's adding to their production he's helping them out and he made offerings in the valley of the son of Himon, and he burned his sons as an offering according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel and he sacrificed and he made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. He was a wicked king. When you get away from the law, that's the magic. And it throws people into chaos. You want to promote peace, order, stability, justice. And that's through the obedience to an application of the law of God. We have a part in that. Not only to obey, but also to remind we have a prophetic voice. Far too long, we've been on the sidelines. Like I said earlier, as Christians, we've been happy and be content in our own little bubble, our Christian bubble. So we haven't been where we need to be, out on the streets, and in the world. Whether it's in our with our families, whether it's at our workplace, whether whether it's it's in front of the magistrates, we need to be there. I just look back, and it's sad. As we've allowed this to, to go on, even in the time that I've been a Christian, how, how far we've fallen, how much we how much ground we've given up, how much we've settled for, how much we've accepted, man, as Christians, without, without raising our voice. Why? Because, oh, we're just going to go along or, or we're pietistic. Christ is coming back soon sometime anyway. Oh, that's really not our problem. Let's just stay safe. We, we, we value and, and we treasure personal peace and personal safety. So as long as they're not coming from me, I'm okay. Yeah, we, we, we treasure just, just having, having our, our, our wealth. We, we, we have this. We don't want them to take that away from us. I don't want to lose my house. I don't want to lose what I have because, and so we, we stay back. We just content ourselves with reading, talking about theology, blah, blah, blah. That's good and we need that. Don't get me wrong. But we need to be putting it into practice. We need to be risking. We need to be sure, because if we don't, who will? We haven't and look what's happened. Who who would have thought that you would have schools where they're teaching little kids that they could be whatever they want to be? I was talking to somebody the other day, and the guy said, my kid thinks he's an armadillo, so I have to have whatever in my classroom to accommodate that. Or, or my kid wants to get a sex change operation, and it's okay, and we're not going to tell them. How, how far? We just let it go. What have we done? Where have we been? We Luke prayed about abortion. Where have we been with one voice? We're not speaking into the cult. We, okay, we're okay, and we're going to be okay as long as we don't speak out, as long as we don't say anything, as long as we just keep it to ourselves, as long as we just worry about growing personally in our lives. That doesn't mean anything in the end if you're not using that to the glory of God. Amen. That's just a hard reality. That's a, that's a true reality. And we, we are a testament to that in so many ways. Because the culture would not be where it is right now if we would speak with that prophetic voice. Or even if it is, we wouldn't be going down without a fight. You know what I mean? At least we'd be doing what we are called to do, leave the results to the Lord. That's what I mean about this. In history, in history, these standards remain the same. The principles of government are based on God's word, on his law. They are from him. And you do see a good measure. Check it out. You do see a good measure of true justice, of protection, of peace, of order, of restraint, of safety, of impartiality, of freedom over fear, less crime, less corruption, and less wickedness where these take hold. You just do. It's common grace. It's God's blessing on that nation insofar as they do that, whether consciously or not. Just the opposite is true with godless government, man. Just the opposite is true. We're seeing that right now. We're seeing it right now, aren't we? You have to say yes. You can't say no. Think of it. Just just in our history. We're just going to put this in our context. Think of Marxism. Don't think Marxism has gone away. It has not. It's here. It's all around us. Socialism, communism, collectivism. That is totally, that philosophy, that religion is totally intentionally man-centric. Do you understand that? It's a godless philosophy, and it's taking root. It sounds so good. That's why all these kids in college think it's wonderful because it promises equality. It promises equity. It promises fairness. You know what it delivers? It delivers inequality, inequity, partiality, and misery. And don't get, get this right right now. It is what, it is at the heart of CRT, of critical race theory in all its forms. All that is, they're just different forms, they're just different variations of Marxism. It's finding its way in our culture, in our society, and kids, especially young college kids, are buying it up. See, that's a, that's a, that's a government, that's a philosophy, that's a religion that's coming down on us. Marx would be so pleased at this. He's the one who rejected God. He did. The legal structure, laws to him, the legal structure favored the wealthy, the ruling class. The, the religion was a ruling class way of keeping the workers oppressed, making them happy in their oppression, right? The opiate of the masses, that's what it was. That's, that's what he says it is. So a few of you with your religion can have these people be content while they're working for you, not knowing, kind of looking for future glory, your future glory, so they can be miserable here and happy about it. That's Marx's view of that. That's That's, what we're, that's what's happening today. That's a government. That's a magistrate. And what it does is pit people against people. It, it causes tension among groups, strife, hatred, division. You see it. I hope you see it. I hope you see it, right? We have churches that are into CRT, critical race theory. They bring into their churches and say, look, only, we're just going to have a black only conference for our black members. That's it. You whites, you, you go away. You, you can't be part of this conference. Even though you're a Christian, we just want to make sure that our black brothers and sisters, you know, have, feel, feel good in that way. We can't do that. You understand? This is what's happening right now in our churches. It is. And we can't, in the church, in society, this is where it's at. We have to say no. No. Because that's exactly what it does. It pits against, it divides, and it brings revolution. Workers rise up against the owners. And here's the deal, here's the trick. Eventually, as the state takes over the means of production, they're going to make sure that everything's fair. They're going to make sure that everything's equal. They're going to make sure that everything's right. Because they're going to own all the property. They're going to own all the production, and they're going to own you. All right? And that's where we're at. Because the state becomes God. It absolutely flips flop turns upside down everything scripture teaches about government, God who instituted it, that he should be getting the glory. This says, no, 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 man gets the glory. And I'm telling you right now, it's not only encroaching upon us, it is here among us. You need to know this. You need to be aware of it. And we need to stand on the word of God. Romans 13 is going to help us. But I hope even this message is helping you to see that. On the other side of that, you have constitutional republic. John Locke, the power of the social contract, government by the people for the people, not perfect. Okay? And it has its issues. They didn't go far enough all the way. But nevertheless, nevertheless, they were grounded truly in the nation, even our nation that we live in, that you've been blessed to live in, was founded on Christian principles. It really was, absolutely was. So many of the founding fathers were at least deists, and so they held to these things. Again, not what you like ultimate like you know, ideally to see, but boy, God used that and blessed us. And we've had many, much, much freedom in this land and much to be thankful for in that way, absolutely. So, grounded in Christian principles, there were actually true Christians who were part of the uh, founding of this nation as well. At least we've been heavenly influenced by the word of God and adhering to its principles. John Adams said this, Our Constitution, quote, was made for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. See, you need like people that really believe the word of the Lord, because eventually it fades and, and we're turned because of the heart of man. But that's one reason we have three branches of government. Isn't that cool? Isn't that amazing? Because they knew, to a degree, the heart of man. So we have three branches, legislative, executive, and judicial, Congress, president, federal courts. Why? In part, check this out, in part to provide checks and balances because they you know the heart, right? We don't want, we, we there's a protection from too much power being obtained in one man or being centered in one man or centered in a group of people. That was a good thing. Because that's a biblical principle that comes forth. That's part of the blessing that we've had for such a long time. We can't deny that. The laws, our justice system is based, people say on the Magna Carta, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But ultimately on biblical standards. Just check this out. Look at Leviticus 19.15. If we have that, you shall not do injustice in the court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, <clears throat> but in righteousness you shall judge your neighbor. Wow, doesn't that sound, the, the the ideal that we have even in our constitution, even for our justice system, that we're not partial, that everybody is treated fairly. Lady justice is to be blind. Now we know we live in a corrupt place that's gone by the wayside for the most part, but ideally that is how it was to B. Deuteronomy nineteen fifteen. A single witness will not suffice against a person. Wow, isn't that amazing? That's that's for any crime or any wrong in connection with any offense that he's committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or three witnesses shall a charge be established. Doesn't that sound a lot like our system? We need. You can't just my word against your word. Okay, whatever. Based on witnesses. That's a very biblical principle that we have built in: freedom over fear. Rights, liberties, based on Scripture, we've been blessed mightily, which should really be an impetus for us to be more active, to be more have a voice, man, and just to be strong as Christians. All you have to do is live your life as a Christian. Don't do anything special. Just be who you are in Christ, and don't worry. You'll you'll be effective, and and you know you might feel the pain for that, but nevertheless. But when those who have no fear of God come into power those freedoms those rights they erode they're twisted they're turned upside down again if we're a little bit older you can think 25 years ago just think back to to i know it wasn't great we're not Pollyannish here but there was a sense of justice where people had a day in court and you could say like you know these people are actually breaking the law we know, we are confident that the authorities are going to do what they have to do in order to, to, to deliver justice. You don't have that anymore, man. You know, people, these kids go into the stores and they just take what they want and walk out. And we don't do anything. What, call the police, what police? Police aren't even allowed to do their job. I mean, that's one of the reasons, like, the right aids and, and different stores are just closing down. Why? Because you're just, you never would think this when we were growing up. If you're, what? It's so it's so eroded, so twisted that this is becoming normal. It's becoming accepted, in part because we're not doing what we're called to do as Christians. They'll turn it upside down. So what Adams warned us comes to pass. It's for a moral, religious people our constitution. If you have people that are immoral, right and wicked, it's very easy. Tyranny will set in very easily, which it has and, and almost very quickly, as you could see. So, as an example, free speech turns into hate speech if it's, not right, if it's not the right kind of speech. You know, if you say homosexuality is a sin, transgenderism is a sin, that's hate speech. It's not truth anymore. All right? On the other side of that, true hate speech is accepted as free speech. I can say anything I want about you because you're wrong and you're not agreeing with the civil authorities and what they have right now. You understand the twisting, how that works? It's going to be used against you. When you speak the truth, you're going to get in trouble. When people speak lies about you and slander you, they're going to be praised. Do not tell me that's not happening. A justice system that abuses its power, that's not kept in check, I'm not trying to sound like a politician. I'm not. I'm I'm a preacher and I'm preaching it. But it's the truth. That becomes partial. That punishes the righteous and rewards those who are in the wrong. Like I said last week, if you have and there are many cases of this, if you have a conscience and you say, no, I cannot bake a cake because it goes against my 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 faith, my conscience, what I believe to be true from God. Well, then you are going to be punished. And you are going to lose your livelihood. You're going to lose your business that you've had in your family for 20 years. So what? And that's good. I'm glad you did because you're a hater. There are many bakers, photographers, who are Christians who refuse to do that. The implications are very real. There are people that stand in front of an abortion clinic and pray and sing and are being arrested and given 10 and 11 year sentences. See what I mean? When justice is turned upside down and the wicked prosper. It is here. It's upon us. When the state intrudes on the family, has the state intruded on our family a little bit? Oh, just a little bit, huh? Just a little bit. Every aspect of our life is taken over by the state. We want your kids. We're going to take your kids from you. So you're going to listen to me, and what we're indoctrinating you, even the teachers, many... I don't want to generalize too much, but there are those... With a mandate from the state, we want your kids. They're going to learn what we are going to teach them to learn because you're not fit parents. You're a homeschooler. Ha! That's indoctrination. We have to get those kids out of there and away from you. Do you understand? See, that's the tyranny that, that's upon us. They're intruding on the family. They're, they're, the, the legal, um, precedents that have been set. A That, that changed the law. Not God's law, but it changed the law to make gay marriage legal. That, that's what we're living in right now. That intrudes on the family. It's breaking down the family. Back in the past, the, the no-fault divorce laws, breaking down. The, the other laws against um, prostitution, that, no, they're all gone. The vice laws, they're gone. Break down. It's intruding on the family. It's intruding on the church. You can stay in your little bubble and say what we want you to say. Just be good little boys and girls, and you'll be okay. But if you really start preaching, if you really start teaching, if you really start challenging the way things are, then you better watch out. I am not kidding. I'm telling you the truth. Society is under tyranny. And it's not just here. I mean, some people say, oh, the U.S. is the last bastion of hope. In some ways, that's true. God always has His people everywhere and He raises them up. But if you look around the world, where would you go? I don't know. South America? Where? Canada? Ha Well, thank you. I have pastor friends there. Pray for them all the time. Right? We need to stand. We need to take that heritage that the Lord gave us, He was blessed us with, the freedoms that we've had for so long, and put them into practice. Stop being comfortable. Because we're just waiting. It's just like that thing when, when there's an alligator, you might move to the back and other people are getting eaten, but eventually it's going to come and get you too. You're just going to be the last one to be eaten, but you're still being eaten. We have to make that decision. We have to be intentional. And I'm not saying be crazy, radical. I'm just saying live your life as a Christian. Just be consistent with who you are in Christ. Go ahead and preach the gospel. You'll get in enough trouble. Go ahead and say this is wrong and sinful. You'll get in enough trouble. I'm not telling you to do anything like crazy. Just be who you are. But by being who we are, perhaps the Lord will be pleased to use that to turn hearts to himself. And it begins as we speak truth to power, God's truth, not our truth, but we speak God's truth, that they are under the sovereignty of God. Christians are being forced to violate their conscience under the threat of prosecution. Increasingly, we find ourselves in this very situation. So what do we do? How do we respond to government as these things transpire, as these things are unfolding, as these things are taking place right before our eyes? How do we respond? Well, Romans thirteen one through 7 has a lot to say about that. So next week, Lord willing, we will delve into Romans 13 um, and begin our series there. May God bless this time. Let's pray.